I got to tell you, I got shook up this morning. I'm, I'm on my way to uh, church, and uh, I go by one of the banks on Locust Street, and their, their uh, clock must have been on like an automatic thing, and it automatically, it had already jumped back. So I'm on my way here, and it says 545. And I thought, huh, I messed up. I lost my hour of sleep. Cause, uh, but, so I'm still a little shook by that. I got here and checked everything. I said, okay, now we're on the right track here. It's next week, but, uh, but they, did, they did scare me, so I'm going to go and complain Monday morning <laughs> what, what they did to me. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're in a series. We've been in a, a series. We've been working through three chapters of Romans. Uh, remember Paul, Paul the Apostle, Paul who was not a follower of Christ for uh, a good portion of his early adult life, uh, just in fact was anything but was actually opposed to those who followed Christ, uh, didn't buy for a second that Jesus, who who was walking on earth during his time, was the Messiah until he met the resurrected Jesus and suddenly realized, okay, I got that one wrong. But so Paul Paul had started a number of churches, and uh, he was actually at the the time uh, where when he wrote what we're going to look at this morning, he was actually in Corinth, another one of the churches that he'd helped start. And and uh, so he was writing to the church in Rome because he's concerned about them. In fact, I, I will tell you, if you ever want to read a, a book of the Bible, one of the letters, and that's actually what Rome is, uh, it's Paul's letter to the Rome Christians uh, that kind of encompasses Christianity, gives you a good perspective of what, you know, we don't even know the questions to ask. Romans will tell you the questions to ask and the answers, and it's just a great book. Uh, and so we've been working our way through chapters uh, 6, 7, and 8 of this letter to to Rome and, and talking through some things. Uh, I, I ran across the story uh, a while back of, a, of a, a number of years ago. There was a, a chief, called Chief uh, Tamahana was his name, and Tamahana was a, a, a chief of one of the more powerful tribes in New Zealand. Uh, and into that tribe, a mission, a mission organization from, uh, actually from Britain, had sent a missionary out down to, to begin to share the good news with this tribe. And, and Chief Tamahana was probably the, maybe one of the first one, if not the first individual uh, who responded to that message that God loved him and that God was offering him a, forgif- a gift of forgiveness. And he responded to that. He accepted that gift. And, uh, and he was just, he's one of those guys that whatever, in fact, Paul would have appreciated him because I think it was a lot like the Apostle Paul that where, whatever direction he feels is the right direction they go, he, he goes a hundred percent. And so when, when Chief Tamahana came, came to know Christ, it just made a powerful change in his life to the point where uh, his fellow tribesmen saw it and, and they began to respond and, and almost the entire tribe <clears throat> came to Christ. Another thing about him is he, he was one of those individuals, like I said, his, he had just tremendous faith in God, you know, uh, and as he learned the word of God, as the missionary taught him, he, you know, he had learned things. He, he learned at one point that God said that we should not worry. And so he just decided, well, if God says not to worry, I'm not worrying anymore. You know, it's like, uh, I wish I had that, that faith. Uh, you know, he read one time that God said he will provide for all our needs. And he thought, okay, then I know that God's going to do it. He just, whatever God said, he believed it. Well, he had such a tremendous, his testimony, his influence had such a tremendous impact on his people that the mission that had sent the missionary originally thought, you know, this is a story others should hear. And so they, they talked to him if he'd be willing to go back to Britain and spend uh, uh, some time back in Britain sharing his story, sharing how he came to Christ 
and what Christ had done. And, and so he agreed to do that, even though he's stepping into a, to another culture. This is an actual, actual picture of Chief Tamahana. Uh, he, they actually, uh, he wasn't, didn't dress quite that way in his, where, he, where he grew up, but uh, they dressed him up because uh, they knew how you know, this, us Christians expect. And so, so he went around, and, and he would go from church to church and, and, and share the story. And it was, it was just amazing. People were really, really seeing the power of God hearing him as testimony. Well, one of the churches he was going to stay at within this church was a, a very wealthy man. Uh, he, he, had, uh, he lived in a house that wasn't a house, it was a mansion. It was, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And, and he offered to have uh, Chief Tamahana stay in his home while he was there. And, and so uh, the day came and he arrived and the, mission, the missionary took him and introduced him to this man. And, and so this guy says, you know, he says, let me take you a tour of my house. He was really proud of his house, and so he took him. It took a while. I mean, it was, it was so huge, and everything was uh, just pristine and perfect and and ornate. And and so he, he he took him on this tour of his house, and they got back to kind of where they started. They showed him where his room was going to be, and all these things. And then the and the wealthy man, after explaining all this and some of where the artwork was from, and how much that cost, and how much this cost, and you know, he kind of got done with his tour and. And he paused, and he kind of he expected the chief to go, wow. And he didn't. And the wealthy man was just a little bit irritated about that, you know? After, how could he not be impressed, you know? And, and, and so he was just a little frustrated, and he, and he actually kind of said it. He said, you know, I, I, all you, can, you can't even, this doesn't impress you? I mean, this, didn't you, as you look at this, I know you've never been anywhere in a place like this before. I can't understand why you're, you weren't a little more excited about this. And the chief responded, he said, oh, my, my father's house is much nicer. Well, that really upset him because he knew that he was born in a mud hut. And, and, so, and he said it. He said, you know, I know that your father has a mud hut. I know that's where you, what do you mean your father's house is better than this? He says, oh, with a glint in his eye, not that father, my heavenly father. He has a mansion. It has so many rooms you can't even count it. And that's just the way he was. That was his faith, you know. It's, if God says he's got a place for me in this mansion, he does. And, and uh, so it just was a really encouraging thing. And, and I share that with you because we've been walking through, as we walked through, especially as we got into chapter 7 and, and into the series that we've called The War Within, We've been walking through uh, some things that Paul brings out as he's talking to these Roman Christians and, and trying to uh, encourage them as they walk in their faith. He, he begins to share with them. In fact, he shares, as we saw, some, some very personal testimony. He says, he, wants to, he says, talk to you about, I want to talk to you about some things that have a tendency to disrupt our, our, our sense of our relationship with God. They don't disrupt the heart of God for us. That, and he makes that clear. Uh, at, in fact, we're going to chap, Romans chapter 8, so if you want to go ahead and get there. At the end of the chapter, he makes that clear. So it's, it's not about how God thinks about us or, or his heart for us. But from our vantage point, he said, I want to talk to you about some things that tend to disrupt the relationship. They, they tend to cause us to sense that we're on shaky ground. Uh, and so he began to share. First of all, he shared uh, in chapter 7, starting with verse 14, his own personal testimony. And remember, as he talked about, uh, uh, he said, I, I went through a period of time, and here was Paul, you know, he'd, 
his, the majority of his adult life prior to meeting the resurrected Christ was wrapped up in religion, in, in do's and don'ts, in keeping rules, and making sure he prayed at the right time and he made the right sacrifice, all the things that he felt like he needed to do if God was going to accept him. And he had never knowing if he did enough, but really trying to, to keep it all, do it all. And then he met Christ, and, and he heard about the mercy and love and grace of God, and he realized that that's not the route. And, and he accepted that gift God offered because of what Jesus had done on the cross, that gift of forgiveness. He accepted that, and he talked about it. If you remember, he said, and for the first time I was alive. And then something happened. And we looked at that as we walked through those last verses in chapter 7. He said, I, I moved back into performing. Remember, we got down towards the end, and he, and he actually makes a statement. He says, uh, I, I stepped back into uh, moving, and I tried, I tried to do what was good. But we discovered that that word good there means what looked good. He said, I slipped back into image keeping. I slipped back into performance, to trying to live up to expectations instead of having a relationship with God. And he said, in the moment I did that, remember the verse goes on, he said, I opened myself up to evil. And I talked about that. I think that's really a plague in the church is that we, we slip into pretending. We, you know, we're a fresh, brand-new Christian, and we're alive, and we're excited. And, but then we start looking around, and it's, oh, well, they don't talk that way, and that's how they dress. And pretty soon we're all into keeping up image, and it robs us, and it... And it it destroys the security of that relationship with God. And so he said performance is one of those things that tends to shake it up and cause us to forget our standing with God. And then last week we looked at, and he went into the second one, he said fear is another one of those things, the what ifs, you know. And, and, and when we don't know exactly what God has in mind or, or we think we know what we have in mind, we're not sure he agrees and and, or fears of all kinds. We're, we're just in a situation where we're not sure we can trust God. And, and so that lack of trust, that lack of confidence, that insecurity suddenly causes us to kind of wonder where we stand with God. And, and he said, you know, you remember we, we ended with that at the end of, again, the end of chapter 8 where he says, there is nothing that separates you from the love of God if you're in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And he went through a whole list just in case... We th- said, well, yeah, I know nothing else but this. And he said, no, nothing. Not, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted that gift of forgiveness. And so this morning we want to move into the last one that Paul says. This, is, this, thing, this thing moves into our life and it tends to have the potential, at the very least, to really shake us up, cause us to wonder about God, wonder about where we stand with him, wonder about if he really loves us or not. And that's the issue of suffering. And so we're going to start. He starts off by making this statement, Romans chapter 8, and that says 6, but it's actually 8. You're going to find, I made a couple typos this week. I'll try to correct them as we walk through. I'm not sure what I was thinking, but it's Romans chapter 8. He starts off with this statement, and he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. <laughs> you know, you look at a statement like I say, well, that's really easy to say. But you don't know what's going on in my life right now. 
And, and, and besides that, how do, you, how do you know what's going to be revealed for us? And, and so that statement, I mean, it's, it's one of those, you know, we, like, we throw out these statements lots of times as Christian, you know, all things work together. In fact, it's in this passage, and, and sometimes we just we throw it out at the worst possible time when someone's just really not feeling really good about all things right now. But, and it's kind of like that kind of thing. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. No matter how bad it is, not, not even worth comparing to, you know, it's, it's apples and oranges, he says. You know, it's not, there's no comparison. I don't know if that's enough for us. He goes on, he talks about, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We talked about that. When you accepted that gift of forgiveness, when you became a Christ follower, that's when that happened. Uh, God the Spirit came and lived within us. We talked about that last week, lives within you. And at that point, you're adopted into God's family. You know, uh, I know the statement gets thrown around a lot nowadays that, you know, well, everybody's God's child. We're all God's children. That's not true. We're all God's creation. But only those who have accepted the gift God's offered of forgiveness are his children. He's adopted them into his family. And so he says, now we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. I love that part of that verse. This is cool. I'm a child of God. Not only that, I have an inheritance, and I share the same inheritance that God's son, Jesus, did. Wow, that's pretty cool. I'd like to stop there, but the verse goes on. He says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I don't like the way that went. I'm not interested in that aspect of this, but... Well, and what he's saying is a couple of things. In fact, when, you, when it comes to suffering, there are a couple of things that the, ver- that the Bible makes clear. Here's one of them. This verse that Paul writes, and he's writing to the Roman church there, Roman, in Romans as well, he says that creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Here's what that's saying. It's taking us way back to the beginning. Remember, God places Adam and Eve in this garden, and it's wonderful, and he... And he talks to Adam, and he says, all right, Adam, here's the way this works. This is yours. You enjoy it. You know, you and and your wife, Eve, just, this is a wonderful place. I want you to eat. I want you to enjoy it. There's one tree to stay away from, because if you ever eat of that tree, it will bring death, not only to you, but all creation. And that's what this verse is pointing back to, That, that when Adam made that decision to eat of that fruit, It not only impacted all humanity because it started the clock for all of us ticking, and we all face death, Uh, spiritual death, which we've talked about as Paul's been walking through this, what that means, but physical death as well. And you know, if you're if you're young right now, you kind of feel like you'll never. This body will always stay strong. I'm telling you, it won't. You know, someday you'll get to the point where you'll clean up some leaves and drag some limbs, and you'll be done for two days. You know, that's kind of the way it works. Uh, but it's had an effect, and, and what Paul's saying is here, it's had such an effect, not only in us, but all of creation, that, and he almost gives creation personality. He says creation is waiting for that day when, when God, he says, when, when we meet our glory, our future, and not only will he restore us, but he restores all creation. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and creation is saying, man, let's get to it. But if you're part of this creation, which we all are, uh, you're going to suffer. It's, it's part of the way the fall has affected us. But then he goes into, he says, you're also going to suffer because you're, you're God's child. 
There was a point where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, hey, if they went after the master, they're going to go after his servants, talking about himself and us as his followers. Don't think you're going to escape. And, and, you know, and he says, it's part of your, you're part of my family and, and, there we, and I have an enemy, Satan. And Satan has constantly been after me during his, and Jesus during his ministry. He says, he's going to go after you because you're related to me now. That's just going to be part of it. Suffering will be part of your existence. Uh, you know, it's, it's part of being in the family. I, uh, there's a, we kid a little bit tongue-in-cheek in my, in my family. We'll, we'll say, well, we got the Lynch curse. Now, my mother's maiden name is Lynch. And, and the curse that comes with being a Lynch is you can gain weight in seconds that will take you weeks to get off. It's just, you know, and... Uh, so that's the Lynch curse, and, 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 come, and with that comes this, you know, bad joints and all these other things that come well with it, and so we'll kill, yeah, you got the Lynch curse, you know, that's part of it. Well, he says, you, you know, you got the curse, because you're, you're my child, you have an enemy, he's called the prince of the power of the air, and he is going to go after you, you are going to have times of suffering, if you're my child, and... And then Paul says, and those are going to be shaky times, or can be if you don't understand. And so he goes into some things, you know, here's, here's where we are, here's our relationship. We're going to share in his sufferings. We're also going to share in his glory if we're his child. But, you know, I, I look at, uh, uh, at Paul and some individuals, and some of you have just, uh, the men just finished a study in Job. I know the women are, are, are getting near the end of, of the book of Job. And, and, you know, Job's this pretty interesting. If you know the story, and I suspect all of you do, Job's this guy that in the Old Testament, uh, and he, under, under God's supervision, uh, he loses everything. You know, he, he lost all of his livestock. He lost all of his children, his children's homes. Uh, it was, it was Then he lost his health. And then he had these, these wonderful friends who came and told him, your problem is you got secret sins or else this bad stuff wouldn't be happening. Just they were really helpful because that wasn't true. We find out in the very beginning of the book, God says he's a righteous man. And so he's going through. And then, and then to top it off, his wife comes and says, hey, honey, curse God and die. This is, you know, just get it over with, you know. And so, so he's, got, he's walking through this horrendous time. And, and I remember as our men's study started, we kind of had this conversation before we really dug into it. And, and, and some of us were saying, you know, what, what I really like about Job is, man, he never loses faith. He just always trusts God through all those hard things. And, and then you dig into to the first chapter, and right away you, you see the evidence. He, so Job goes through all this, and he's sitting there. He's lost his health. He's, he feels tr- terrible. And he makes this statement that's such a statement of faith. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, or may the Lord's name be praised. Wow. Man. Wish I was like Job with suffering. Well, you probably are, because that's, that's day one and two. Skip in down the road a little ways. Here's, here's Job 23 chapters into that book. Every day my clan plaint is bitter. Now we're sounding a little more like Job, aren't we? His, or God's, hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. God is not paying any attention. He doesn't even care. Doesn't he know what I'm going through? This is hard. In spite of my groanings, if if 
only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me. He said, Lord, come here and stand in front of me. you got explaining to do. Because I don't deserve this. And, he, and truth is, he, he was a righteous man. And he knew that. He said, you need to tell him, I, come down here. We need to talk because you've got some explaining to do. He, Job is like us. And then if you want to know what God does come and what God has to say, I'll leave that to you to look at after that. Uh, pretty interesting. Suffering's tough. It shakes us up. It, it can do real damage to our confidence. And so Paul, and then Paul steps in here with this flippant statement, hey, you know what's no big deal? That didn't compare to what's coming. And, and you might look at Paul and say, well, you know, where are you coming from? What makes you think you have a right to make that? What suffering have you ever done? Man, you were kind of raised with the silver spoon in your mouth. You had it, you know, yeah, probably money was probably never a problem. He was, you know, this up-and-coming leader of the, of the religious party of the Jews. And, you know, so what do you know about suffering? And Paul, well, let me talk to you about that. And he goes through this whole list. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, which you probably know that. What that means is that the Jews had a, a theory, and it was really a theory that had been proven in fact, that if they would beat a man, lash a man for 39 times, he would survive. If they went 40 or over, they chances are they wouldn't survive. And so he says, there, there were five times where they beat me, you know, we might say within an inch of my life. He says, three times I, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And remember, he was left for dead that time. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. I, and, and you look at that, it's kind of like, that's one of those, you know, the other ones is people and they, people do bad things. But that God, that's you. you. You're the one that controls storms. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. So you want to talk about suffering? I kind of know a little bit about that. To which we might say, yeah, but you're not naked now. And all those things you talked about, you healed. You look pretty good shape right now, Paul, actually, you know. Those are tough, but, you know, but I know suffering. I got health issues that plague me every day that they're not going to go away, you know. I, that, yeah, those are hard things, but, but you heal from those things. You get better. You, you say goodbye to them once in a while, you, you know. I'm not sure I would qualify that as suffering. I I'd call it, yeah, it's not fun stuff, but you know, suffering like things that are in my life and are never going to go away, like losing a child or a loved one, and they're not coming back tomorrow. I'm not going to get over that. That's suffering, Paul. And you flippantly say, yeah, no big deal. I said, well, maybe I need to share a little more than me to you. He said, there was given me, Paul, a thorn in my flesh. Now, that phrase right there, it's, it's a stake driven into the flesh. And the tense that is written in is Paul's basically saying, there, God allowed something to come on my body 
that I deal with every single day. It's not going away and may, may not ever, and, and it's a big deal. In fact, we'll get into a little bit of that. He says, give me a thorn in the flesh. And he says, you know, it was because of an illness. In fact, he, this is, he's talking, right, and this is the one. It's Galatians, not Acts. But he writes to the Galatian church, and he talks about and this is, is, was maybe when the, this disease really broke out for him, this, this thing that was causing, because he, he, he'd gone to Galatia, he says, and you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. He got waylaid. He was on his way on a trip, and he had to stop in Galatians because this illness overcame him. And he says, and even though my illness was a trial to you, now what that is saying is, whatever it was, it was disgusting. It, it was one of those things that, you know, you, you, every once in a while you don't want to, but you see someone that has such, such severe physical issues that you involuntarily turn away from it. And, that, and you don't want to. You're not wanting to be cruel. It's just you not how to resp- know how to respond. It was that kind of thing, Paul says. I had this thing that was so disgusting, maybe even smell-wise. He said, and you know that was true. And yet you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God. And I can testify, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Evidently, what was going on had something to do with his eyes. And, and I don't know if there's this seeping infection he had. We don't know exactly. But we do know a few things. Probably for the rest of his life, this plagued him. Does it go back to remember her when he first met Christ on the road to Damascus? And remember, he's blind three days after. We, you know, I don't know. But he suffered with this thorn. Then he shares this story, and, and, and he talks us. So we might say, okay, all right, we get suffering. We get that you know it. Uh, in fact, some of the letters he wrote. Uh, in, in fact, Romans, if you're, if you're in Romans, turn back to Romans 16, the last chapter. And you'll notice an indication, I think, and a lot of people think of his illness. Romans chapter 16, look at verse 22. I've been telling you all along that Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church. Notice this, 22. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. It's like, oh, what? Now, wait a minute. I thought Paul wrote this letter. He did. He authored it. But his eyesight had probably impacted to him to the point where he could not write himself. He had to talk to a scribe, and a scribe had to write it down, and this was the name of the scribe. There are places in other letters where, there's one where Paul says, see what big print, how big my handwriting as I signed this letter. Because he didn't write it, and probably with his visual problems, he could sign it, but it was big so that he could kind of see what he was doing. So this is something, he knew suffering. And so you say, well, okay, so you know suffering, but how can you speak to heaven? How can you say, well, yeah, suffering's bad, but it won't even compare. It's apples and oranges when it comes to what God has in mind for you. I'm telling you, as you step into the presence of God, none of that's going to matter. You won't even care. How can you say something like Paul? How, Paul, nobody can say something like that. So he writes to the Corinthian church. So I know a man, this man who was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things that a man is not permitted to tell. Oh, by the way, it was me. 
So to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Paul says, I can tell you about heaven because God allowed me to be there. And in fact, the earlier verse, if you're looking at it, he'll say, he says, uh, I know a man, it was 14 years ago, he was caught up into the third heaven, paradise, whether it was in the body or, in the, or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He said, I'm not even sure how it happened. I don't know if I was sleeping and he gave me a dream or it was a vision or it actually took me, but I, I was there. And let me tell you, I saw it and it was, I can't even tell you what it was like. And you say, well, Paul, why don't you write a book? Because, you know, they make a lot of money when they talk about what they saw in heaven. So write one of those books and He makes a statement. It, it was so amazing that God knew, because he knew who I was, that he had to keep me from going on a book writing tour. Keep me from saying things like, well, I, I've been there. Someday you'll get to. He had to keep me from getting conceited. And so he gave me this thorn in the flesh. Every day, I got to understand suffering. And here's what I'm telling you. That I consider the present suffering are not even worth comparing with the glory that would be revealed in us. I know, Paul said, I know. I know what it's like to suffer. And you can imagine how, how much easier his ministry would have been. He, and he accomplished a lot. But you kind of sit back and say, boy, how much more could he have accomplished if he hadn't problems with his eyesight, if he wasn't dealing with this, this horrendous, disgusting visual thing? That How much more could he have done? He could have just wrote his own letters instead of having to dictate them. And could just made his own trips instead of having to be helped. Paul says, I, I know suffering. And let me tell you this. I got a glimpse of heaven. Can't even, can't even explain to you how wonderful it is, but I can tell you this much. Whatever you're going through doesn't even compare. You know, it's really interesting. Here's how we pray, isn't it? We're in the midst of suffering. And Paul did too. He, he, will, he goes on to say, I... In the midst of this, he says, I pleaded for, to God three times. I said, Lord, please deliver me from this. And he says, and here was God's response. No, my grace is sufficient. I'll give you what you need to make it through it. And, and In fact, Paul goes into, as the rest of this chapter, he goes into some things that, that God does in the midst of our suffering. He, he gives us the grace. You know, and I've watched people, and, and there were times where I've watched God allow people to go through things. Sometimes as brand new believers, I'm thinking, God, they're not going to be able to take it. I wouldn't be able to take it. And and guy looks and says, Paul, you just don't get it. They'll be fine. And and I, I just amazed you have to. You've seen people in the middle of suffering, you're saying, How do you how do they how do they get out of bed every day? God's grace is sufficient. There's another point a little later down, he'll say, We don't know how to pray in those kind of circumstances. And so the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, helps us know how to pray according to the will of God. Because, you know, our prayer is like this. I have a, I have, I don't, never met him. Name is Christian. 11 years old. Has cancer that, humanly speaking, will take his life. Uh, he is a, the grandson. 
of a friend of Mary Lou and I's. She actually sang in our wedding. And, and I pray for Christian every day. Doesn't look good. But I pray for him every day. And here's my prayer. And it would be your prayer. It's, Lord, I, my prayer is, I watch these parents who have great faith, by the way. I say, Lord, please heal him. Please let his mom and dad and his grandma and grandpa and his brothers and sisters, please let them have more time with him. And God may choose to do that. But if he does, God would say, okay, Paul, but that's second best. Because if I took him home, he'd be healed and he'd be experiencing things that are unimaginable. So it's, and that's my prayer. And, and it's ours. It would be ours. That's normal for us to not want to lose a loved one or not to want to suffer. That's not. God understands that. But what Paul's saying is, you know what? Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't take it away, the moment you step into his presence, you're going to say, whoa, no comparison. No comparison. And so if you are a child of God today, that is your future. Whatever you're in the midst of, know this. Someday, you're going to forget it all as you step into his presence. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pray to him to get you out from under it now. And he may, or he may just give you the grace to continue through it. But someday it'll be more than worth it. Let me pray this. Lord, thank you. And, and give us faith. These are these things. And, and Paul knew it. He understood. He understood suffering. He understood loss. He prayed, Lord, take this away from me. And, and so there's nothing wrong with that. And, and some, of, some of my family here, they're in, you know, in really hard times. It's a struggle. It's, it's, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning because the suffering is so great. And it could be physical. It could be financial. It could be family things. And, and Lord, we want deliverance. And, and we're not wrong to pray for that. But you may choose to allow us to stay in it. And you'll give us the strength and the grace. And if you do, you want to remind us this morning that someday it's all over. And there is no comparison. What's coming for us and what we're going through right now, no comparison. Thank you for that future, that inheritance that is ours as part of the gift that you're giving us. And today, Lord, give us the faith to trust you, whatever we're in the midst of. We pray these things in your son's name. Sing this with me. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the
Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.